This is Van Malekvick Ghost, and we are live with Judy Rodman for the first time on the program. So thank you for coming on the program today. I'm looking forward to it. So we do have a sponsor. We are on Newsly as an audio podcast. So what Newsly does is they convert video to audio. So go to www.newsly.me. Use coupon code GHOST2021. That will still work. You'll get one month free premium subscription. That's GHOST2021. You can get one month free pre, free premium subscription, and you can stop scrolling and start listening. So that's their kind of their line. Um, so now we're going to put up your uh, ticker up on the banner. So everybody who wants to, you know, be interested in what you're doing, judyrodman.com forward slash newsletter sign up. You now stay on the whole length of the program. So we're just happy to have you on the program. It's really cool to meet new people all the time. That's part of podcasting. That's what we do. Oh, so, I know. I, I know. And the chats are always so much fun and, and interesting with people that uh, have also done the journey like you have. <laughs> well, you're an award-winning vocal court, uh, coach, uh, recording artist, performer, speaker, author, uh, songwriter, studio producer, blogger, and podcaster like yourself. And so like you've uh, specialized in professional singing and speaking voice. You've got five decades of professional success. And your your students have appeared on like Today Show, Letterman, uh, um, The Voice, American Idol, the Grammys, CMA, MTV Awards, New York Times bestselling list. So you've you've really had a, an impact. Well, it's been a blast, and I, it's funny my my journey. Did, I never intended to be a coach, a vocal coach, but it's been some of the most fulfilling part of my journey is helping other people, you know, reach their dreams. So. Yeah, I think that found is like I'm a musician, but I started becoming a producer in the, in mm -hmm. the last like four years, mm -hmm. and I feel I feel like being a producer is like being a music teacher. Like so when you <laughs> when you're working with other artists, it's like you're teaching them basically how to apply music theory to make yeah. somebody sound better. You know, mm -hmm. so you're teaching them all kinds of techniques. Like you could rearrange that. You could use different voicing. You could do different chords. So it's like you know, I I pay more attention to the instruments. I do do things with the vocals, like shadow vocals, like Peter Gabriel like loves to do like shadow mm -hmm. vocals, vocals on albums. Like, so he would layer and layer. He's a very progressive rocker. And I was very, I'm very interested in that kind of thing. Uh, mm -hmm. What the old school progressive rockers used to do, uh, even like, you know, what George Martin used to do with the Beatles. But um, it's so, so like one of the questions I always ask people, like what, what was the, when did you first get into music? Like what age? I think I've been doing it my whole life, literally, like from the age of two or three was when I first sang with my dad, uh, who was an amateur musician and sang on a radio show and all that. So I really grew up with a family that always sang. And uh, as each sibling would come along, I was the oldest. And so as each mm -hmm. sibling would come along, I would be put on a different harmony part. So my I really grew uh, a sense of... of uh, of harmony and pitch and, and ear training and all that. And my, then my father taught us all little guitar chords and things. And <laughs> my grandfather taught me piano uh, on an old piano that the middle E, you know, acoustic piano that the middle E was missing. And so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was the age way before digital. So yeah, uh, yeah. I've really been, I've really that. been in music forever. Yeah. Well, I'm a child of the 70s, and uh, I had a best friend that had, like, you know, one of those home pianos that was always out of tune. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> and I tried to like try to do something on it. It's like this thing's way out of tune. <laughs> <laughs> um uh so so that's that's really cool because a lot of the, I've been interviewing since 2016. I've interviewed like over 140 artists, and a lot of them wow. will say what you said. They actually start very young. Most mm -hmm. creatives I've talked to in the music field uh, seem to have done you know they're two, three, four years old. They they yeah. mentioned yeah you know, most almost everybody I've ever interviewed. So, and then maybe drop it and then come back to it, but um, and then they start taking it seriously when they get like older, but you see, but you were, how long were you taking it serious? Like all through your whole life or was there a period where you really started to focus and say, this is what I'm going to do? Well, I think, uh, doing and being are kind of interesting words here because I've always been a musician always, mm -hmm. but as far as being a professional musician and doing it seriously as, uh, as a career, yeah. Uh, I started that in when I was 17 years old. I did my first oh. national spot for Gino's Pizza Logs oh, wow. in, uh, in Jacksonville, Florida. Yeah. Uh, so that that was the first time I actually made money with my voice. Yeah. And that's really interesting for people because a lot of what, what people do today is they kind of getting into sync licensing. Because like the way the mm -hmm. industry right. works is right. like a lot of artists, the only way you can really be successful because after Napster and after all these streaming services, mm -hmm. like the, the amount of money you get paid is that you got to be more inventive. Like I'm actually working on a independent um, a video game maker out of South Africa, working on like a two year project to do a sound for game. Yeah. And that, that, that kind of stuff is the stuff that makes me more money than my Spotify. <laughs> yes. It, makes me, it, it yeah. makes me more money than even doing gigs. So, so like you have to think about like, okay, you know, you, you got to be open to different ideas. And so it's, oh, my it's goodness. Really... Your creativity has to go into multiple streams of income if you're in, you know, if, you, if you're in the business of any of the arts. Because in the ancient old days, they used to have patrons of the arts. And then you used yeah. to have uh, labels that really did support, you know, the artist uh, because there wasn't a whole lot of competition since they were just like the big four. So it's just not that yeah, way anymore. And there's lots of good, good about that. But then there's, yeah, definitely. It, but it's bad where you don't get advanced. You know, you, like you had to get yeah, the records. Right. Like we're going to be on gotta, the table. And we're going to give people the space, take five years to do something, take two years right. to do something. Now today, right. like you got to do it right away. <laughs> you got to be already yeah. on TikTok and, and hitting a million and then they'll pull you in, you know. <laughs> exactly. What they're looking for is your fan base. I mean, really, that's what they're looking for. Just like what live venues are looking for is butts and seats. So it's like really, you know, that that's where creators have a little trouble because the creative part of us that that that's doing what we do because we love it, that's not the mm -hmm. business part of us. That and and if yeah, when we have to put those so two together <laughs> of our brains and our hearts, it kind of butt heads sometimes, or butt hearts, maybe is the way to way to say it. Yeah. But what we have to realize is instead of whining, what we have to do is get really good at both, both both the, the craft and the business. And the current business, not the past business or the dream of the business, but the real business. So uh if we if we if we understand that, then we can dream with legs on. That's true. Because I mean, I, I'm a creator and I've been doing it because I love it. But I started getting into podcasting because that started allowing me to monetize what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh -huh. and it also allows me to meet people. 
in an age right. of the COVID, it's like I get to meet people all over the world. I've, I've talked to people in South yes. Africa, Argentina, Brazil, Japan. You know, I'm collabing with people in Japan and yeah. Italy all mm -hmm. over the world. Cause they just opened it up and say, like, well, you people, oh, you're locked down. You can't do anything. That's very small minded. Dude, like I get, I'm working with somebody in South Africa exactly. and I'm in New Hampshire. Right. And exactly. I'm working with another person in Japan and I'm in New Hampshire. I'm in my room and I'm yeah. still working on something there. So you don't have to, you can open up your mind and say, well, there's other things you can do. But, mm -hmm. um, so one of the things that I'm looking at, like to be in a, being a trainer, uh, vo mm -hmm. vocal trainers, what, what's the, the requirements for like a successful vocal career? Cause you've, you, you actually show people what they need to do. So maybe mm -hmm. you can start with like the basic. Well, I've, I've got a big three that you have to have to have a professional career in voice. One is vocal health, because if you lose your voice, you know, you, it doesn't matter what gigs you book for, you're in trouble, right? Uh, or you can do some gigs, but you have to really limit it and all that. So vocal health is one. The second thing is vocal ability, because mm. that is what gives you the ability, you know, the, I'm talking about range and resonance and mm -hmm. uh, the ability to control your voice for precision, for pitch and vocal, all that. vocal ability, that's two. And the third one is vocal, what I call vocal impact. But what I mean is communication skill, because mm -hmm. if you've got the best sounding voice in the world and uh, you know, you, you've got plenty of vocal ability and your voice is pretty healthy, well, you might win American Idol, but then you're done. So if you really want a career in it, you have to understand what the voice is for getting, getting back to what the voice is really about, which is delivering messages that get a response. It's not yeah. enough to just deliver the messages because that's like a narcissist, narcissistic sort of, let me give you my truth. But the value of the voice is in the strength of the response to it. That's and when true. you can wrap your head, yeah, when you can wrap your head around that, you can put everything into perspective, you know, and, and uh, even if you do have a limited range, if you're really delivering messages that get responses, you know how to tell a story and you know how yeah. to deliver a message, then your voice is maybe more valuable than a lot of times it is more valuable than your background singer who can sing reams above you as far as range goes, but yeah, they yeah. can't reach the heart like you can. So, yeah. So th those yeah, are the three things. I was always like impressed with singer songwriters because it started to change the game, right? Because my my dad was like a big fan of like Sinatra and that king ah, and yeah. the really great singers, right? So he had a bunch of you know records, real records, vinyl, and he had all the Motown stuff and he had all the Stack stuff, and it was all really vocal. You know, people had like amazing voices. There was like an age in music where. The only, the only like the gate is you had to have that great tenor. Yes. And editing yeah. required blood, right? Yeah. You had to do it. You had to have it, you know, and, yeah. and then you get a guy like Dylan. Dylan comes in to Columbia and he's doing it based on the quality of his writing. And then he had Not a style voice. to his voice, but it wasn't anywhere near what the old time standards were right? right. at all. And then you get right. a guy like Lou Reed, who's a spoken word poet. And he was able to get his voice out there. And it's very unique, but he doesn't have a lot of range. Right. But it didn't really matter because he knew, he learned how to use it, what exactly. he had to the max capability of it. Right. They take you, singers like that, 
And this is what stage presence is. They take you into the scene of the song like a movie does or a, yeah. a great TV show, like an actor does. Uh, and mm -hmm. they're doing it by being really real within that scene. And uh, if they know how to do that, then, yeah, they still need vocal health and vocal ability to 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 fully do what they want to do, you yeah, know, to be uh, just, as speakers tour. do as well. Yeah. Right. Uh, so they do need that. But I, I agree with you. The most important thing is vocal impact or messaging impact. Yeah. Like yeah. this is, this is, uh, it, it's, it's creating a universe within that movie scene right there of that song. Well, I always liked the term sound painting and, and I, I was Ooh, watching I like some documentaries. You know, it comes from like George Martin. He was talking about the mm -hmm. Beatles and Sgt. Pepper. And he said, well, I could have recorded them like they were in Germany. And they would sound just like a live band. But then I said, I was doing all these Peter Sellers records and I was doing all this overdubs and effects and tape loops. And the Beatles actually heard the Peter Sellers records that he had been doing. And oh, they said, wow. well, what if we took those t techniques and use the yeah. studio like, like Monet, right? Let's say we're going to actually do, do something that we can't do live. Wait, we can't do Sgt. Pepper exactly live because it's something that's a studio creation. And it's an idea that George said was a sound painting. And then Hendrix on um, our, um, Electric Ladyland said the same thing when people asked him, well, what, what are all these bird sounds and ocean sounds and all this stuff? Mm -hmm. And he said, what's well, a sound painting? And now I yeah. kind of took I took that to heart. It's like, yeah, that's a good way because you can be, a, as a musician, you can be a storyteller. You can mm -hmm. be like a screenplay writer and you put people into that scene. Right. You know what? It's like being a voice painter. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's, it, you're, you're painting the scene with the way you're saying things uh, or singing things. And uh, the inflections that you give to them is way more important than how many vocalics per inch that you can deliver. <laughs> yeah. So, so how can you change your voice to be a better communicator? Like what are some of your techniques for that? That that falls into that second category, which is the vocal ability. And what I find that's really important with changing sound is changing the shape and uh, <clears throat> movement of your of your throat channel, and mm. the way the throat channel, because that 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 is the route through which the the laryngeal vibration from you know when you make a vocal sound. Uh, by your vocal cords, they go on and vibrate the larynx, and then they need to reach the resonation zones in your in the bones of your face and your sinuses, and you know sometimes people even say in the in the, the sternum here or the trachea, uh, but but there's these are like your woofers and tweeters, right? Oh, yeah. And if you can't if you can't reach all of your EQ, then your voice is going to sound like a little cheap instrument rather than a big expensive Stradivarius. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. you get the bigger, right. I guess you get some of the so, Motown, yeah. Motown song, singers like the, had the really deep like baritones. And then you had the guys that were really good at the falsetto. Right. But if you, if even project. those people, they can, but, but, uh, and it does, you know, the, the size of the instrument does matter and the density of the cartilage and all that. But even, you know, anybody can have a very thin sound, or yeah. they can have a very rich sound. And, well, and, what, and the way that <laughs> way you open that up and change it is uh, that that channel opens up, down, and back. So when you use eye language, it changes your voice so much that if you're on the phone with me, 
I know whether your eyebrows are moving or not. Oh, wow. Changes. It changes everything. And uh, so in the studio, a lot of times people won't use their eyes because, well, they're in the studio and they're not looking at anybody. So I get mm. them moving their eyes and all of a sudden there's more feeling in their sound. It's more interesting because they can reach different EQ systems, EQ uh uh, oh yeah, resonation I've seen spaces, like, right? I've seen singers that like they memorized it in their head and they got their eyes yeah. closed. Yeah, and then well, you can close, you can yeah. close your eyes and still use the orbs of your eyes. That's okay, but you mm -hmm. have to move. And the reason is, if you lift your eyebrows, and your audience can do that right now. If you lift your eyebrows, you'll notice your nose opens. Oh, so you well, get more that's going to change the tone yeah. because yeah. the larynx can reach those resonation areas up in the ceiling. Another places down, which is jaw, tongue and jaw positions. If you drop your jaw when you're talking, rather than talk from your jaw being tight, it sounds completely different. Wow. So you, the, you need the, your tongue needs a free ride with your jaw. That's and then the other, the other way the throat opens is back, which means head back just a little bit like that. It's much more confident feeling. You know, if you're walking, lead with your nose, with your, with your knees rather, instead of your nose. And so your head is balanced over your heels and your tailbone. Even with this mic situation that I've got, I've got the mic in here. I'm, I walk in here with it so that my head is balanced over my heels instead of walking into it like that, leaning over into it. Yeah. So, uh, and you can, you know, you can hear the, my voice change when I do that. Yeah. And there's a lot stand of vocal up. I, I actually have a standing yeah. desk. I am too. I do too. I, I do too. I've got, in fact, I'm I using found, it right now. Yeah. I found that that works a lot better for me. Um, yeah. But, but also it's interesting because I'm a, I started in music as a, as a clarinet player. Oh so yeah. I, I had to learn like the breathing and how to use mm -hmm. my tongue and how to do my, there's a lot of techniques when you're playing a woodwind. Right. That, that the breath control is very important. Like your mm -hmm. tongue control is like how you actually get some of the trills and stuff to happen. So when I started to get into vocals, I said, well, if I take some of these things I was doing on the clarinet and then, you know, it, it seemed to work. Yeah. <laughs> and right. I just found it just by saying, well, if I apply this yeah. woodwind to like talking or singing, it, it, it seems to work. In well, this, the, our read, our read is right in there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> It acts yeah, like a reed, right? Yeah, and the resonance, like I'm a synthesis, right? So all my synthesizers have like cut off and resonance and all kinds of modulation. And I can understand yeah. it on that. So I can yeah. say, oh, I need to apply that to my own voice. Because I'm uh -huh. spending time on the voicing of all my keyboards. But like, mm -hmm. you know, I control that resonance, but I need to understand how I can control my own vocal resonance, not just my tone well, on my, my mode. Right. When you start using your eyes more, even even more, you may notice that you have access to more than you thought. And the other thing yeah, is, this, as far as breath goes, uh, and this has to do with vocal health. Air is the what works the voice, of course. What you know, the engine that 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 moves the the voice, air going through your vocal cords, and and then setting up alternate alternate resonation in these places. But uh, air is also your voice's worst enemy. It's like ato atomic power, you know, a little bit can power the grid, but a little too much. So oh, what we need to do is control that results. breath. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh. So you control your breath and the secret to breath control is wide ribs at the bottom. 
And if your head is back so that your throat's more open, because uh, when your head comes back a little bit, that opens up the back part of the throat channel. Well, your rib cage is also open, which means your diaphragm is stretched like a drum head needs to be or trampoline. And mm -hmm. that's what controls breath. Anything that drops your rib cage down, like your arms down, like a rib anchor, uh, or, or your head forward where your rib cage collapses, that's a saboteur for your breath control, which is what is works your vocal control. So oh. it goes together. I've, I came up with this method when I started teaching and I'm so excited about it because it's so synergistically amazing with, in the way that it works with voices. And that's a three-stranded cord of techniques that work the breath, uh, you know, compression breath, where you have breath support and breath control centered in the pelvic floor. And then you, you uh, the second, so I call that power. And then you send your, your voice, the, the voice through an open throat channel. And I call that the path that you need to send your voice through so that it can resonate, you know, it can gather all this uh, extra characteristics when the throat channel is open and movable. And then performance meaning communication skill. So if you put together breath, path through the open throat and performance, they all affect each other too. If you're really talking with somebody and not just thinking about talking with somebody, you're gonna be using your eyes more, which means your throat's gonna be more open. Mm -hmm. And if you really are confident or you're acting as if you're confident, even if you're not, your rib cage is going to be more open because your stance is going to be different. So you're going to communicate with more um, authenticity and, and confidence and all that. So that, see, it's synergistic. It all goes together. Yeah. I, I found it because I used to be an audio only podcaster and I switched to the video. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And I, I like the video better because I think it, it allows me to actually see people I do yeah. hand movements. And I, respond. I, yes, and yeah, respond. I, I, mm -hmm. yeah, I'll do things. I can even see my hands moving all over the place. But yeah, yeah. I just I found you know I like to stand up, and it was before I was like sitting at a chair doing an audio podcast. I didn't really see my 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 guest. I didn't see their body movement. I didn't see how they were reacting to whatever. And I just think it's a better experience to actually use you know all the senses we can. Like so, if I can use the video, then I can I can do more. And right. they helped. Uh, I, I do take to heart what you're saying in terms of like using your eyes and using your body in the right positions to get the result that you need with your diaphragm and your different positions. Uh, that makes a lot of sense to me mm -hmm. because uh, I'm, I'm somewhat of a technician. I'm, I'm a technical guy. So we're like learning how to get my synthesizer to resonate right. I'll yeah. read all the stuff to yeah. make it do it. So yeah. like I, yeah. I put the same level of effort into my my voice. <laughs> right. Right. And then when you've got a professional career, sometimes you have to not see who you're talking to. That's in the studio or, mm -hmm. you know, doing a, rec uh, a recording project or something and also on the phone. Yeah, and yeah, so what, what, what I tell people, you know, I, I get people doing then is remembering and conjuring back up their, body language, facial language, hand gestures, everything that they would be doing if the person really was right in front of their eyes. You can't do that unless you've actually, uh, I mean, to have the experience of being on stage, talking to an audience, uh, or, or uh, you know, 
to have the experience and like you say, doing a video rather than just the audio, you can bring that in your imagination and create a visual experience for people, even when they can't see you or you can't see them. And it's a skill, but you, but you can learn it. You can on purpose use, use it, you know? Yeah. I've tried to, I mean, I still do audio podcasts for people who don't want to do video. I think some guests that don't want to do it. So I try to, you know, I, I got this mic, which was a yes. way better mic than what I usually had. Uh-huh. Like when I first started, I was just using the PC mic and well, that wasn't doing it. And I, I, so I need to use something way better. So then, you know, I started using mixers. Then, you know, so I have a lot of technical stuff that's helped me. I've got preamps, yeah. all the things mm-hmm. I'm using. And and the weird thing is like you, like you have, well, not a weird thing, but you say, how do you find your own unique vo- voice? Like in my case, I did not like my voice when I first started doing music. I was a musician, but I never sang until like five years ago. Mm-hmm. And I used vocal um, vocoders or vocal transformers from Roland that actually mm-hmm. could change the pitch and change the format and change all aspects of my voice. I would create characters. Yeah. So I used these, these synthesizers to create male, female characters, like weird characters. That yeah. And I played mm-hmm. with playing these like characters like an actor mm-hmm. and then eventually i got confident enough to use like i finally started using a preamp with my male voice my naturally occurring voice but i used this preamp to kind of give, give it all this analog lift and mm-hmm. then i felt more confident about what i was doing but i was using a lot of you know i was using a lot of i'm a techie so i was using all kinds of external things to like affect treat my voice maybe not my natural voice figuring out how to make it sound better before i treated it but yeah, I wasn't yeah. spending time like treating maybe like the backwards approach. You know, I, I would I, I would tell you as a vocal coach that you've got you've got an amazing instrument. Your speaking voice is wonderful. If anything, just using more of your eyes uh, will will give you more expression than you've ever had, and more also uh, also if your voice ever gets tired. It'll also help with that because it opens up the throat channel. And here's another interesting thing with people that don't like their speaking voices uh, recorded. Sometimes it's because they've never recorded them and our ears are here. We don't really know what other people hear uh, in our voices because we're hearing them from the side of our our head. So when you record yourself back, you kind of get used to it, you know, like, oh, that is me. <laughs> and then yeah. uh, and you and then you play with it. You know, you just like what what ha- what would happen if I made my eyes like crazy or if I dropped my jaw like crazy or if I moved my head back a little. And just experiment with facial language and body language is what I would suggest to everybody listening. And you may find more voice than you even knew you had. And as far as how you find your unique voice. Mm-hmm. If you open up all the doors and windows of your resonance, I think you're going to find out that nobody else sounds exactly like you. Maybe your brother or sister might sound pretty much like you, but you're going to add your life history, you know, your life story, uh, your, your, the way you interact with people that colors your voice as well. Because the thing about opening your throat is that it gives your voice options, right? Of colors and, and all kinds of nuance, but it's in delivering messages that connect you with someone that tells your, your lizard brain what to pick from those nuances mm. that you've made available to it. I've got a thing I tell everybody, kind of a saying, and it's that the voice wants access to movement. 
That's interesting. Yeah, because I mean, there's a difference like in live performance versus studio performance, because like if you're in a band, right, and you go live, you feel the need to perform, like to kind of do stage and, you know, stage craft type stuff. Uh -huh. Or if you're in the studio, you might just stay stable, not really moving right on the mic, right? You're just going to stay right in the booth. But when and you that's where somebody, that's where somebody <laughs> needs to turn the lights off in the vocal booth and let you do your thing. Yeah. <laughs> really? When you go live, you see that, you know, they will get singers that are running around, bouncing yeah. around. They get really that, animated. Right? Yeah. You can't do that. But but there yeah. ends up being a different sound to a, like, yeah, you, you can know, move. a live band. Like Roger Dalton when he's singing The Who live and he's twirling his mic and he's running around versus when he's on the mic in the booth. The live sound is a, is a very big difference. And what it sounds like. And I'm like, I've got a whole course called Singing in the Studio that explains why that is and how you can fix those things, how you can, mm -hmm. you know, the, the workarounds for those things. One is really to take your stage experience in your mind, like we were, we were talking about a couple of minutes ago, in your imagination and go there in your imagination really shut down, shut down the lights in the vocal booth and be willing to use your hands and move a little bit on the mic, you know, and dance a little bit around it as long as it's like dancing with a partner where you want to, you know, stay present with them on the mic, but your body can move around and you really can get even better than you can on stage if you can go there in your imagination. So it helps to shut out other sensory input. Like don't be looking at the producer that's looking down at their equipment and going, oh, something's wrong. And it's really about the equipment, not because he thinks you suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The problem is he could get too, too distracted by yeah. all kinds of things. Yeah. And uh, what's interesting, what I started doing is is uh, I like to do stream of consciousness demos. And I, go, and I go live as part oh. of my recording process where I would actually do live rehearsals and tape it. Yeah, because I, then I go through the tape, kind of like uh, the guy got me into that was I was reading about Frank Zappa, and Frank Zappa used to like to record a lot of his stuff live and go right to a like he had a mobile studio, a recording unit, and he would record like all his concerts, and he would go back to his house and listen to the tapes, and then put together albums from the live stuff. Yeah, and like, right. That I thought that was really Neil Young used to do it too. And I thought yeah. that was really cool because there's something about taking that live performance that does sound different. And I think yeah, there's the audience. Yeah. Did, yeah, find, did find it, did find mm -hmm. something that was different about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There, there can be some magic and sometimes the magic is in the imperfection, the note they didn't quite hit or the crack in the voice that sounded like emotion. And also they are, they're, they're really the, the, the audience listening is a part of the equation of the performance. Hmm. So that's yeah. why in the studio, people that are really good with doing that in this studio can take that and imagine themselves there and actually do it, project, you know, as, oh, as if they were there. Right? Yeah. That's yeah. probably the best. It, it, you have to use your, use your imagination. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you can imagine, yeah, like you say, you stop looking at the producer, you stop looking at the recording and engineer that keeps like going up, thumbs up, thumbs down. It's like, forget about that. And just just go with it and uh, and kind of put yourself into the zone. And you know, mm -hmm. I find when people are saying, "Well, how can you perform 
online in COVID, right? Because like mm-hmm. I, I, I get a lot of musicians that well, I can't do well unless I have a studio, unless I have an audience, because I feed off the audience. And they tell you like I can't, I don't want to go online because I can't get that feel. But what mm-hmm. I said, you got to kind of get into your head and make yourself like what you're saying. You kind of use your imagination to get really into, like if you're a musician, like I'm really into my song. I'm so into my song, like I'm going to get in a zone mm-hmm. and I'm not going right. to care and I'm going right. to just do it. And so I'm not going to wor- obsess about like, I can't tell what the audience is thinking. Well, then you're going to, you know, you're going to be all like, oh, not knowing what you're doing. You're like, well, I'm not confident that this is going over. You have to not care about that and actually just do it. Here's an interesting, you may find this interesting, especially with the, with the experience you've had and the way, you know, you've experimented with, with things too. There's a difference between being an entertainer and being an artist and the most successful I think are both. But here, if, if you can wrap your head around this, it can help you in the studio for anybody that's listening. And that is an entertainer is talking to the fourth wall, as they say in acting. They are talking to the, the but it needs to be always one heart, the one mm-hmm. heart of the audience. And you can move the heart around to different parts of the, you know, the, of the venue, but it needs to be like you're talking to the one heart. Garth okay. Bono, Bono of you yeah. two, they do that really well. They make everybody there feel like they're only there for them. Yeah, they're only uh, Right, right. <laughs> and then when you're singing your song, then, like an actor going into a, a, a reading of a script, go into character, talk to that bad, bad relationship person, or talk to, to the, the love of your life or the one you think will be the love of your life or your dog, if you're having to do a love song and you don't particularly not in love with somebody at the time. But you know <laughs> what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like do uh, use use borrow from acting technique and it and really talk to the heart that the lyrics that are coming out of your face are to to the heart not the audience when you're singing i can't make you love me if you don't okay yeah yeah that's like not me, to the me, audience me, yeah me <laughs> was always like kind of you had theater you know i i, I like bowie i like fred mercury i like prince yeah. because when oh, they went goodness. on stage they were like actors Yes. They were. I mean, they they there was a lot of theater with everything Freddie Mercury was yes. doing. It was total theater. Yes. If you look at, you know, Bowie, Bowie, man, he would create characters and he would stay in character like a method actor. Right. Right. They said he stayed in right. Ziggy for for months. He stayed in Ziggy Stardust. Yeah. He actually didn't. He came off the stage and he was still Ziggy. He wouldn't yeah. stop being Ziggy. He just he stayed in it. And so. Um, I mean, sometimes I, I think it is like I, I've talked to a lot of musicians and they say there's kind of like this other them, this other you, like the looking glass and they see this other person, they kind of project mm-hmm. this kind of hyper version of themselves. Right. It's and not exactly if, themselves, but it's this other version. Right. And Sanford Meisner says that great acting is behaving authentically in fictional circumstances. That's what we have to do when we're singing a song. We can sing a song that's not where we are right now, but it can't be out of our realm of experience. Hmm. So if, if you're having to sing a song, you really, really, you can't get in touch with, you take that one out of your set. <laughs> you know, yeah, if you're, yeah. if you're doing, if you're de- a demo singer and you're having to sing it and you agreed to sing it, then you're going to have to go there. I'm sorry. You're just going to have to go there and be that character. 
but uh, but uh, when you're an artist, you can, and if you're a background singer, okay, you have to take on the story of the artist. Yeah, it's all always got it. You got to know what the the lead sled dog of your brain is 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 going. Like, where are they going? Where where's the where are they? What destination are they headed for? Mm-hmm. And then get everything you know. Line your sensory array up and really go in that direction. And then I mean, all of a sudden, all of the. Uh, I can't do it, you know, online because I'm, I'm not having an audience. I don't have an audience in front of me that goes away because your brain is all focused into one, you know, one goal. Let me get a response to what I'm saying, you know, from that heart I'm saying it to. And then when you come up from air out of this, it's almost like you're done with a reading from a script and then you're back with the audience and you're like talking about that song, you know, and you're all back. And it's really yeah, I mean, cool. Doing, it really is a lot of stage presence. That makes sense because if you're an actor, you're doing the reading. You might not, you might not have the whole crew there. You don't have the like you might just be doing it to a small group of people. So you do have exactly. to put yourself in that zone. And I think musicians, there's a lot of theater in what we do. And, exactly. And you know, the more that you realize that, then you can be in any scenario whether you're mm-hmm. home or in the booth or in front, on a big stage mm-hmm. with like 300,000 people at a festival, you know, right. that's what your preferred place is like that right. festival stage right. with the 300,000. You've got to feel, be able to put that in your head when you're in the booth, you know, exactly. or when you're home, you know, you gotta exactly. be able to do the same thing. So mm-hmm. I get it. I get what you're saying. So, um, so how can you avoid the vocal vet- fatigue? Because you got some forms of music, if you get into like grunge and heavy metal and punk that can do things to your voice, they could, I've heard of like, you know, artists where they, they, they didn't have the training and they were just kind of, they just destroyed it because they just, they're in such a heavy genre that right. demands like almost like doing really bad things to your voice because <laughs> right. you're kind of not trained and you're just doing to get called I'm a punker. It's like, well, you can't just keep screaming forever or you're going to damage yourself. Right. Uh, there are several coaches and I'm one of them that do work with that kind of extreme voices like that. And the thing is, I have just, I have come to the opinion that you'd never have to damage your voice. Uh, Mm -hmm. the most abusive vocal stuff is really in voiceover where where you're having to, uh, do really harsh sounding characters like that. Mm. But even, even after that, you can do vocal warm downs or cool downs to help your voice get, get back. But if you're singing regularly, you can sing really loud as long as you're what I call pulling it instead of pushing it. So if I go, if I go like, I'm going to move off mic a little bit, but if I go, yeah, 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 I could do that all day long Mm -hmm. because I'm pulling it instead of pushing it, which I don't even want to do because I would, you know, my voice would spasm a little bit just from doing it once forward. So, you know, the, the, the screams and all that, if you're screaming backwards, it's like a recoil, you know, Mm. and you scream backwards. And what you're doing is two things. You're opening your throat and you're widening the bottom of your rib cage which is your control lever. So you can sing as loud as you want to, as long as you're controlling as, as much as you're supporting. So the more, the louder you want to be, the more control 
you got to apply. And that has a lot to do with posture. It has to do with my technique, you know, where you're, you're doing that instead of that. Oh. And uh, so there's ways that you mm. can do it, but pulling it's, it goes for speakers as well. Pulling your voice instead of pushing it is the way to go. That, that I think that's really good advice because we've got a lot of producers that watch this uh, show and they may they've never decided to actually go to a vocal coach or because they just you know oh, they're, yeah. they're doing whatever they're doing and they didn't even think about it. Um, so I, I think it's really that you're here with this advice because I think it, I think anybody who's a producer, anybody who's actually you know in a band or a singer songwriter, they might have been just you know fell into it and have a natural talent but never thought to actually do the training you know well exactly you're you're able to really really yeah 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 because there's some great voices that have gotten in trouble because they're successful and they have to do it a lot and they get tired from the red eyes they have to take you know and and the first thing in the morning those plane rides and don't get enough sleep and the sound check's got to happen and you know and they're human and they get tired so what do you do when you get tired you slump or you, and you yeah. push hard, you push hard instead of pull. You don't even know to pull. So you push harder to get your voice over. And that's going to give you vocal fatigue, which can lead to vocal strain and then lead to vocal damage. So we want to mm. get the cycle going back the other way. And if you get targeted vocal exercises that teach your lizard brain, your automatic nervous system to pull, no matter what your voice needs to do, then you really can stay protected. I think that's really good for emerging bands because what happens is a lot of bands that they kick and the way they kick is they just do extreme amounts of touring and yeah. you know, they, they right. might not, right. not, not, might not even have a really great record deal. That's actually going to give them access to somebody like you. They're just going right. to be in their mini band and they're kind of line van going from gig to gig to gig to how to push it. They build a fan base. And the thing they're ignoring is their, is their voice. They're just, they're just you know, without thinking about what they need to protect the voice. You know? Right. Here's a, here's a really protective thing that they can do. Like that doesn't take a lot of training where they put the mic, like for a boom stand for a guitar player, they need to bring the stand, uh, to, you know, into them. They need to walk into the stand and bring the mic uh, make the mic for like 45 degrees like that. If they're standing at a, at a mic, like I'm standing at this mic like mm-hmm. this, then they're, they're good. They're not going to drop their rib cage so much and they're going to open their throat up a little bit. So they want to bring, if they're playing guitar or piano, they want to walk in so that their head has to go back or they'll bite the mic. Right. Oh, wow. So that's a, guitar, that's a, and, and if you're using your hand, uh, handheld, yeah. then then you then you use it to kind of pull. You see people doing this all the time, and you don't realize that's what they're doing. No, they they actually, may not even know what yeah, that's, that that's what maybe they doing. found it. Do you think some, yeah. there's some like right. oh, yeah. they just found it because they sing Absolutely. so much? They they found what was comfortable Absolutely. and what Absolutely. was, and then it, maybe they've gone to somebody like you and realized they can make it better. By well, or they can do they it found. on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, it just seems like, you know, because some people have, might have a natural talent for it and they figured some things out. But I think, yeah, you always do education and training. You're always going to get better. You know, you, you're yeah. always going to find a better, better technique. And uh, I think as all musicians, like your voice is an instrument. I mean, I've had people like, oh, you know, he's a vocalist. It's still an instrument. That's their oh, yeah. instrument. 
You know, it's like, yeah. it's like maybe they're not, we have a pure vocalist that not playing an instrument, you know, yeah. uh, it's an instrument. And so you, do, you still have to be able to uh, take care of it. Like anything that you do, with your, your mm -hmm. physical, keep it in tune and you make sure that uh, you, you take care of it. And uh, so it's going to give you that performance you need every time you have to go on stage or you have to go to the studio or you have to do something. Right. You can't just uh, ignore it. Right. Oh, I can give you another really cool tip that you don't have to train too hard to, to get. And that is use pineapple juice. The bromelain oh, wow. enzyme in pineapple juice uh, soothes the, the tissues of the pharynx and hydrates it. So I have people put like a quarter uh, pineapple juice and three quarters water so that it doesn't add to acid reflux. And now, mm -hmm. unless you're allergic to pineapple juice, of course, but if you're not allergic to pineapple juice, try diluted pineapple juice, whether you're doing speaking or you know, interviews or whatever, or you are singing and put that in your water, water bottle on stage, diluted pineapple juice. The people that I work with don't hardly go into the studio or stage without it. Wow. That's a cool thing. Mm -hmm. I don't think a lot of people would know that, you know, <laughs> unless somebody told them. So, so, um, so we were talking about how to avoid the vocal fatigue, but then what are your, the responsibilities of a successful voice? Like that's an interesting statement. It's like, so what, 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 what is that? What are the things that make up the responsibilities? Well, this is what I believe that if you're a successful voice, that means you're an influencer. So that means you're responsible for how you're influencing your audience. So, you know, it doesn't mean we don't need to sing songs about darkness and songs about pain and, 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 and things that are kind of negative, but what I believe and write them, you know, and, and play, you know, dark music and all that, you know, heavy metal and, and, uh, and those things that the spirit kind of needs to express ourselves with. But somehow I believe in the language within the genre you you're working that you need to use your material and bring the darkness into the light somehow, mm -hmm. even if, you know, even a cautionary tale. And I know some, uh, there's some rap stuff that I really respect that, that talk about life in a way like, don't do this. Like this is, yeah. this is, this is going to lead to a place yeah. you don't want to go. Yeah. And, and so that's, that's leading into the light. And each one of us have our own stories, our own realities, you know, our own worldviews, but we're all about love. We're all should be about love. And I think creators tend to be that. And I think that we, we need to just have somebody say it, maybe like me or like you, that yes, you are responsible for what you put out into the world. So make it good, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I'm, a, I'm a kind of like, I I'm a believer in telling stories. And usually when you tell a story, there's like some kind of moral to the tale, right? Right. Like there's going to be like, why did this right. happen? What did they do to make that happen? Right. You know, did they resolve it? Did they not resolve it? Right. So yeah. you're right. If you're writing a story, you know what, you know, your you typical Bob Dylan song, you see some characters going through something, they're successful or they're not successful or something happened yeah. to them. It's a story and it has right. beginning, middle and an end. And it, there's a result of what they did. Yeah. You know, like Dylan's, like Dylan's, don't think twice. Uh, uh, that's all right, you know. Yeah, the thing yeah. is, that's that's the sweetest 
and the funniest and most profound kiss off song I've ever heard. But the cool (laughs) thing is, you know, the message, the message is, yeah, it's like, uh, you know, you just, you, I'm not saying you treated me unkind. Uh, you just kind of wasted my precious time. So that helps people that yeah. need to let go of a toxic relationship. Right. So yeah. it's like that, bringing that negative into the light. Like, you know, like, you know, if you think about tangled up in blue, it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a song about his divorce, but it's yeah. not immediately apparent because yeah. he never comes out and says it. It just yeah. is implying it's about the breakup of somebody's relationship and he kind of puts other characters into it. Yeah. He puts like, he like, he acts like he's like another person and he puts mm-hmm. them into self into these different roles. Like, did he really go out to the great North woods and be a cook? He's like, he creates these like situations where he's like, he's telling the story and he's like, what does that mean? Um, mm-hmm. But, but it, it's really like, you get the picture of him in, 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 you know, in a bar, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you get the picture of him in the Great North Woods as a, as a, as a cook, and he just like he's that sound painting type of thing where he's actually creating the scene uh, like a, a whole escape, like a screenplay. Mm-hmm. And I think when you do that, that's a very positive type of song in terms of even as talking about this the story about his like a, a, a relationship falling apart. It's just the creativity in it that it feels like even today when I listen to anything off of that album, I'm like, wow. The, mm-hmm. the depth of, of him actually addressing it. He was doing social consciousness and then he actually took it, that skill set and talked about what was going on with him. Yeah. And it kind of speaks, speaks people's pain out so that they can, yeah. uh, you know, positive in that cathartic way. sort of cathartic experience. Yes. And then they, they go like, so it's not just me. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. Because I think a singer songwriter can take the pain of a situation and make right. it universally understood, so then everybody who is feeling that way can go put tangled up on blue in blue, and they right. feel like that. They they feel right. like okay, I have you know we'll process it. Uh-huh. Yeah, he went through it, so I you know I now I actually can can kind of feel you know positive about it. Can you feel good about the song, even though it's mm-hmm. like a neg- maybe so, somewhat negative, but it's still something that's creative. I think he took the energy to take pain and put it into art. Mm-hmm. I yep. think that's what we try to do. Oh as my goodness. Oh my yeah. gosh. You know, there's so much about art that does express pain and it helps people uh, in, in very deep ways, like not avoid uh, or, or say, this is, this is what we need to not do <laughs> or something. Yeah. So it, it's not that, that, that still leads to the light to expose an, an inequality, to expose, you know, uh, something that happened. That's all leading into the light. It's it's helping human beings process. And if we if we did it enough, and man, I've, all we need is love and 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 a little more art like and that. The Beatles, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. That's the only thing about the whole about the Beatles was that like they had this message. You know, by the time we get to Abbey Road, you know, basically are still telling people to kind of believe in that. But they've gotten yeah. to be really great songwriters, and they got very diverse in structures. You know, mm-hmm. very had tons of movements. You know, multiple mm-hmm. songs that are part oh of like, my goodness. like a prog- it's like early progressive rock on Abbey Road because you've got multiple songs that are strung together as like a classical type of structure, but it's rock. And it's right. going from one thing to the next in different timing, different key pitches. It's just very, you know, then you get bands like Pink Floyd and stuff that can take it further. But but yeah. the idea and, and of, Bohemian of, Rhapsody. 
Yeah, and the queen taking yeah. it even further than right. what you could do. That you can take yeah. this multiple song structure and build these big epics. Right. Um, they're kind of based on poetry, like epic poems. The rock you already taking the idea of an epic poem and actually putting it into pro into play. You know, mm -hmm. on the great songs, you know, Stairway to Heaven is kind of like a poem. It, it basically oh, is yeah. a poem that ends yeah. up being this epic song. It goes through these changes, and it just like it, it goes up and down like a classical piece of music, and mm -hmm. um. I just think, you know, I, I'm, I'm very much in the, in the singer, singer, songwriter age where people would try to put their best effort and make a statement rather than today where you tend to have like a club banger or just a hook and not have the structure. I'm, I'm kind of really into like that Beatle structure of a song or even the Motown structure of a song or TV Wonder on the songs, The Key of Life, that level of structure is like, Where's that? <laughs> so, oh, I'm my gosh. You know what is never going to die? It will reinvent itself and come back. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, like that's structure. where that really is where it is. It's not all about the tech. It's it's uh, for even though those of us that know about tech, um, we need to. It needs to be used in the service of delivering a message. And if the message is just, yeah, you can make a beat that can make everybody want to dance yeah yeah but then you go back to disco and it was a little more inventive yeah. you, know, you go back at what the bgs did yeah you know what cool and the gang did or like earth wind and fire did you can make the dance oh song gosh. It's relatively complex oh. you know with like oh really God. big horn sections right. very intricate vocal layering but then you right. get people that, well, like i got a dance song and it's like boom 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 four on the floor yeah. it's like what is it <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm into the song. I'm into, and I'm not just in. I'm not into just one, one genre, uh, one uh, like, era, yeah, like multiple, but or, or one genre. But it, it got to speak to me, you know. Uh, so yeah, you got to have, you know, like so the idea of having a vo vocal sound that can affect your message delivery. What are what are techniques yes. to do that? Well, if you sound like monotone then the message is going to be i'm bored with this and you should be too you know <laughs> if you sound crazy and over the top you're going to be like i really want you to like me you know and that's not gonna that's not gonna really get the response you want either so it's it's like using your body language and picking from all this movement that you give your voice access to to be authentic with the person that you're talking to so the, mm -hmm. the way, you know, you can say something we know, you can say the same four words and mean four different things. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, uh, you better not do that again. You better not do that again. Yeah. You better not do that again. You better <laughs> not do that again. You know, yeah. all those things mean <laughs> different things. And I'm talking oh, to different yeah. people. Yeah, yeah, because one of them is like a joke, and one of them you really didn't uh -huh, mean it. Right. So right. yeah, it's and one of them is pretty serious. Yeah. yeah. So the actor actors can interpret things, you know, and I think musicians again, it's like the theater reference. I think we have to take a lot of what an actor does, what you just showed to everybody, that you can take mm -hmm. the same set of words, but how you deliver them right. can be interpreted totally differently. Like, you know, you right. mean, like, and if I'm singing, if I'm going to, I could demonstrate it with singing, you know, if I go, um, 
I can't make you love me if you don't. You know, who who believes that? That's just like me trying to win American Idol. Uh, <laughs> if I if I if I go, I can't make you love me if you don't. Oh, that's boring. <laughs> I can't make you love me if you don't. That might get across. Yeah. But I'm not talking I, I, to the audience when I do that. I'm not talking to you when I do that. I'm talking in the movie scene to this person who's going to lose me. So you have to go there. Yeah. Well, I think you got to channel that emotion. And that's what I, like, right. I, I was kind of talking about like Neil Young. <clears throat> and if you think about like when he did, did his like um, <clears throat> Nashville type records where he was like very, very controlling on his pitch and doing like perfect for vocal performances. But then he went and did Tonight's the Night. And when they asked him about it, what are you doing? They said, well, I decided to go and go into the ditch. He said, what do you mean? It's like, I wanted to do something that was imperfect. Because yes. I was spending all this time in Nashville yes. trying to make it perfect. Yeah. And then when you listen to Tonight's the Night, it's like, it is perfect in its imperfection. And it's exactly. Like, it's happy accidents. It's kind of almost like off pitch, kind of like almost tears in his voice. And Neil is really good at doing this thing where it's so evocative that you feel like he's crying, you know. They, Absolutely. That, Absolutely. So is Bruce Hornsby. I saw him do it uh, live. One of my students was uh, singing, uh, was playing fiddle and, and, and uh, singing backgrounds with him, John Mayer, uh, John Maylander. So I went to see the, uh, the, the uh, opening of his tour and Bruce Hornsby, uh, he would just disappear into like almost – you'd think there was something wrong with his voice. You know, I thought maybe he's lost his voice for just a second for like, I don't know, three, two lines, two, three lines. And then all of a sudden he totally opened up his voice. Like he was just playing with the audience. It was so incredibly effective. So I, I say what, what we're not looking for, what we're not looking for is perfection. What we are looking for is magic. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the magic is in, just like you said, the imperfection. Well, it's like the happy accidents that I, I always tell producers right. to work with. In their dog, and they're sitting there trying to make it perfect. I say, you know what? If you did that and you were working on next hour on Main Street, you would have destroyed it. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah, like, yeah. because, yeah. because like, can I yeah. go and I show them examples of the past? Like, there's a lot of happy accidents in Exile on Main Street. There's a lot of errors in Todd Rundgren's Hello, It's Me, right? If you actually listen mm -hmm. to it, you can hear all kinds of errors in it. Mm -hmm. And it's like mm -hmm. it's good that they're there because it's a great song, but it's not perfect. And something right. that's it's not human. Yeah, it's more human. And it's like you got to right. go for that instead of sitting there trying to make it perfect because you're taking all right. the life out of it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, I think we're at like an hour. And so we like to go and do like an hour because we have our, our partners, they, they don't like to go over an hour on our distribution, but um, I think it was great talking to you. I think you, a lot Thank of you, producers and musicians that we um talk to are going to appreciate this episode. And I'm going to actually great. tell people great. I work with great. that they need to watch it. <laughs> right. Great. Great. Well, it was fascinating to talk to someone that's as passionate about it as you are, because we, you know, it's like, oh, I found somebody that knows how good this stuff is or could be. And, uh, oh, and loves brilliant. musicians and loves the art too. So, oh, it's brilliant. so thank you so much for having me on the show. It's, it's, it's just fantastic. I think it's great to have everybody to always, you know, when you find somebody that's really passionate about the craft, yeah. 
and right. and, and trying to help the craft by doing the work you do. It's like being a teacher, being a mentor, being a coach. You're really, you know, you're helping everybody in 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 the in the, in the field we're in. Um, and I think that's that's very important, you know, to to have that, and you should be uh, celebrated for that. So I'm very happy. Thank you. To have thank you, on the you show. thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. And great uh, to meet again, you. Great to meet you too. Thank you. Have a good night. You too.